Hello and welcome to another episode of the Citizens of Lorcana podcast, the podcast where we invite you to be a part of their world. We are your hosts, Jared and James. Today, we are joined by someone who needs no introduction. We are thrilled to welcome Steadfast on today's episode. So without further ado, let's jump into the episode. Hey everyone, welcome, welcome to another week. Last week, we had a chance to visit with Dan and Jim of Hobbies and Happiness. Uh, where we talked about, you know, last minute thoughts about set three, um, thoughts about set two, all that stuff. So if you haven't had a chance to go listen to it, make sure to go back and listen to that. Today we are joined by a very special guest. You probably know him from YouTube. His name is Steadfast, a.k.a. Zach. Hey, welcome, welcome. Hello there. Thanks for having me. The pleasure is all ours. Trust me. Um we uh, have been putting out a little schedule of our, you know, upcoming podcast episodes, and there was a lot of excitement when people saw that you were hopping on the podcast. Oh yeah, I, that's always that's fun. I really appreciate everybody for always sort of supporting me and across all kinds of stuff. And this is actually my first time being on a podcast ever. So what? Pre- yeah, appreciate you guys having me on. So, <laughs> well, that's cool. Yeah, that's kind of hard to believe. So, so we've been starting our podcast with a segment called Deck Tech and Specs. And I cannot wait to hear your answer. The new set comes out the day of this recording. So if you were going to Locals this week and had all the cards you wanted, what are you taking? If I had any choice of any cards, I'd probably want to test out something with a legendary card, I guess. But I think the deck that I'm most excited about right now and that I've been trying a little bit is um, some pirate decks. So maybe the pirate decks, uh, a lot of them, a lot of the versions I've been trying include locations. So Jim Hawkins would be the legendary in that instance. So maybe that. Um, but man, there's so many different decks that I'm I'm wanting to try out. So it's hard to pick. So many. <laughs> so many decks. James is just in love with this uh, Ruby Steel uh, deck list that he's got going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are you? What 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 inks are you running in your in your location pirate deck? Yeah, it's the same. It's the same thing. A lot of people are running probably very similar. Um, that Steel John Silver is just really good with locations, right? And he's a pirate. And I even right. like messing around with those little um, coconut pirates that reduce the lore. Oh, Ruby that'd be sets. fun they can rush in when they're played in the uh, Jolly Roger. So anyways, just some fun stuff that's kind of new. It's like the deck that has the most new things in it. Locations, you can play them for free, alternate lore, and then lore destruction. So anyways, it just has a bunch of new stuff. I think that's what I'd be excited. It's it's not going to be the 535 puppies deck? Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you would you would need a whole deck box to carry that. Well, yeah, I mean it's only most of the. I'm counting the 99 on the four individual 99 puppy cards, so it's only like 150 cards, but it's still a lot. <laughs> it, it is a lot. Yeah, I was I, I when I saw that I was like because you you uh, posted uh-huh. that up on Twitter, and uh, I'm like, wait a second, is he <laughs> counting the 99 puppies that only has like. 20 puppies actually yep. pictured as 100. <laughs> Says 99. Says 99. I guess you got to count it. <laughs> yeah, so so where did 535 come from? I'm, I'm so curious. It's just like you count 99 times 4, and then you add the rest of the cards because they oh. each have one puppy on them. Okay. And, and uh, there's only like one alternate color. It's like all amber except for the, the sapphire Pluto. Oh, one Pluto. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. you could run Ruby. You could run Ruby Pongo. You could run Cerberus, and if you count his three heads, there's more puppies. <laughs> and if you count Goofy, then you could add even more puppies. There I you suppose. go. Typically, we like to ask what the good matchups are against it. I mean, obviously, we haven't had a chance to really play test these, but I'm curious, how do you think that uh, this would match up against the dreaded Ruby Amethyst deck? Do you mean the... Uh, As we know it. The red steel deck, or you're talking about the puppies deck still? <laughs> yeah, the pirate deck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I think the interesting thing about the pirate deck is I mentioned it, it has a bunch of new stuff in it. I also think it has a lot of options for 
combating against a lot of new stuff. So like you could run Maui and take down locations. You could run, uh, then along came Zeus and take down locations. Um, red and steel are also good against evasives and things. So funny enough, it actually like, it's probably good against a lot of different things people are trying. I don't know what exactly it would be weak against because I haven't played it all that much yet. Yeah. But against Ruby Amethyst in particular, I mean, I don't Do think you, it would be that bad. I think I think what we're looking for, especially these first few weeks, is something mm -hmm. that's going to go against like the what everyone's like jazzed about the like right. you know, the thing that's getting all the pub, which is like you know the the relentless beast uh, and yeah. loop or the Jafar, the Jafar. Whole new world. So basically, anything with removal and, and and I think this I think a red uh, ruby steel deck is the perfect answer to those. Honestly, I mean because those things are super easy to hype up in a bubble or in like a solitaire mindset. Mm -hmm. But the moment that I mean, uh, then along came Zeus does five damage and I believe Jafar has five willpower. Yeah. So I mean that that card alone takes out those legendary characters and does and chunks into a lot of the great locations already. So, yeah. Cause you just need that in one yeah. character and most locations are gone. Oh, right, all locations right. are gone if the right character. I think it's fun that, that those like turn one kill combos are, are being hyped up, but I don't think they're quite as foreboding as people might originally right. think, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's that, it's that whole thing where, yeah, it's great if you can do it, yeah. but can you do it every game? Exactly. All right, so uh, everyone, I think, would know about you from your YouTube channel. Uh, so take us back to the beginning, and when did you first become interested in Morcana? And then, you know, mm -hmm. what, what drew you to it? Yeah, so Lorcana. So basically, I'm a big board game player, a big tabletop game player, and I'm a big video game player. But in particular, with the, with the tabletop stuff, um. I think at some point I found Lorcana on uh, BGG, which is Board Game Geek. For those who don't know, it's a, it's like a, the IMDB of board games, yeah. if you're unfamiliar. Um, but I think I found it because I was looking at other Disney card games, because I'm also a big Disney fan. Um, I typically go to Disney World once a year if I can. And I live in California near Disneyland, so I'm a big Disney fan um, of the movies and the parks. And I think there's like this Disney card game you could play inside the Disney parks. And I was like looking it up because I wanted to check it out. And I remember stumbling upon Lorcana. And this is shortly after it was announced, but before D23 or anything like that. And that's when I kind of got interested in it. And, uh, you know, I, I collect Pokemon and I've played Pokemon Magic Yu-Gi-Oh, but not competitively or anything like that. So I wasn't too sure how much... I would be like super into Lorcana, but man, I just kind of fell in love with the the really solid design of it from the get go, and the Disney IP definitely helped. So, so yeah, I started following it, and then, but I didn't really make content or even jump into it seriously until like the weekend it launched. Really, so your story sounds so similar to a lot of us. So, <laughs> yeah. I, you didn't really play competitive TCGs before, like it sounds like you were pretty competitive with your board games, but as far as card game goes, Lorcana is like your first one. Yeah. Like, I mean, like I said, I know how to play Pokemon and magic and stuff, but like I've, I never had played it like a locals or anything like that. Um, but on the, in terms of just gaming and board gaming in general, like there are several card games that I'm super into, like um, Arkham horror LCG and things like that. There's a board game called res Arcana. That's just fantastic. It kind of reminds me of Lorcana because it's a race to 10 points. And then um, on the video game side, you know, I, I grinded Hearthstone at one time and I was really big into a game called Teamfight Tactics, which if you boil it down is really just a card game. So I've always been like sort of on the edges of competitive card gaming, um, but I was never one to stick to a particular game for a long period of time. And Lorcana, so far at least, has definitely broke that trend for me. I'm definitely haven't grown tired of it. So, yeah. So you you kind of mentioned this. You said you didn't start getting into content until launch 
uh, of the game back at Gen Con, probably. So why did you start? Why did you decide to start a YouTube channel at that point? Well, my YouTube channel is actually like six years old. Um, and I used to do a bunch of random, <clears throat> excuse me, I used to do a bunch of random video game content on it. Like from like literally everything from like Kingdom Hearts to Minecraft and Pokemon and all this different kind of stuff. And it was just kind of like a hobby thing where if I was into the game at the moment, I'd make a video. But for one reason or another, Lorcana kind of struck me as like, hey, this game is going to need like deck guides and things. And that's something I sort of did with previous video games was make like guides and walkthroughs. And so I just decided to start making content and people seemed to like it. And that was, it's been six months of just doing that. So <laughs> that's about it. It's like uh, one of the things I enjoy about your vi your videos is just how calm you are. It's like, you're just like, your voice is very soothing, <laughs> which is something that you, you know, a lot of people, you know, when, when you think about like YouTube, it's like everyone's like, you know, the algorithm and get the hits. And it's like, it just feels like there's just all this excitement. And it's just nice for you to just like patiently talk through all of your deck guides. It's like, this is what happens. This is what you do. This is why you do it. So I think that's one of the things that I really enjoy is just that it's, it's, I, I won't say it's like, it's, it's methodical without being boring. Right, right. So, yeah, people, like. people have expressed that to me in different ways on a scale of creepy to, to, <laughs> to, to professional. And you're landing on the professional side. I appreciate that. But yeah, yes. yeah, no. Absolutely. No, people have said that. But really, it's just me being myself. I can't really fake the, the like, right. Enthu YouTube enthusiasm that some channels have. Not that it's fake for people, but if I were to try to go after that, it would be fake. And I just, it's, I can't do it. I just got to be myself. So <laughs> hold on. I want to back this train up because I mm -hmm. think you're underselling yourself a little bit. You're like, I've been doing this for six months and I guess people like it. People mm -hmm. love it. I mean, you are getting tons of views and I regularly see people refer to you and your decks and you're coming on strong on Twitter and stuff. Um, I, I mean, you're just killing it out there and I can't wait to talk to you more about your, you know, content making strategy. Yeah, for sure. I'm happy to talk about it all you guys want. And like I said, I appreciate you guys having me on and just, you know, I don't really know how to take, uh, <laughs> those compliments too, too much, but I appreciate them a lot. So, all right. So this is another compliment, but both Jared and mm -hmm. I have, have, used your decks uh you know that for a fact because i literally played against you with your boss <laughs> deck one week yes. at, at locals uh shout out to kingslayer uh good shop to play um so with those decks like how are you getting into figuring them out like what like are you just starting from scratch and just building something that you think will work and then seeing if it does, or are you like looking at the cards and like figuring out the numbers and doing all of that math stuff that just goes like flying right over my head um, mm -hmm. and being able to build a deck just like intuitively? Well, it's definitely not a math thing. I'm, I'm much more of a creative guy than a numbers guy. Um, but typically I just take a look at all the cards. I mean, I kind of just spend all day looking at, Lorcana decks and I mean if you looked at my like Dreamborn drafts or whatever there's probably like 3,000 decks in there like <laughs> just ridiculous <laughs> nonsense in there no but typically I'll have an idea like like the Mufasa deck like I was just like man this Mufasa card sounds so awesome like when they first revealed it what's the best thing characters that can summon off the top and then you know, uh, I know that green Mufasa is fun and, and blue Fasa is fun, but the, the red characters are just so good when you throw them off the top. So I just started building it out. And then I won't claim that one as an original idea. There's a bunch of people working on, on Amber Ruby at the same time. And, and so, so I typically run it myself with what I think is good and then compare it to other people's lists and, and then just kind of build the best version I can over a week or so. And I try to play all my stuff in print before I make a video and then, you know, make the video. And on that one in particular, people seem to like it. So 
I ended up making like a follow-up video where I talked about developing it and things. So, yeah, because when we when we played, uh, you add some some different tech in there. You were trying out a right. couple of different things to figure out what was maybe working a little bit better than the initial the initial plan, uh, which yeah, I, I thought was pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, for sure. The best part about that was I, I remember at one point I said, James, you know, as the creator of this deck, I think it actually might be better to start second when you ran the die roll and he almost fell for it. So <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm like, wait, I, it took me a second. I'm like, no, I don't think so. Yep. Never. So, so you had said that in your Dreamborn mm-hmm. archives, you probably have like 3000 decks in there, um, which blows my mind, I guess. And I've said this a lot. I'm not a very creative person, but what I mean, what compels you to create so many different decks? Do you just like, you know, have an idea and then you abandon it? Or do you, yeah. are these like 3,000 fully fleshed out <laughs> no, decks no. that that you would want to try at some point if you had all the time in the world? So like, for example, like I'll give you some examples. Like I'll make a purple blue deck and then I'll make a version with like the popsicle draw engine. And then I'll make another version with like all the amethyst draw engine stuff. And then I'll like kind of like think about it, and then maybe make a final version, and then and then like try it out or whatever. Or like when I was prepping for a tournament with a certain deck, I'll make a few different versions because I'm taking out one of this, adding one of that. But I don't want to forget it if I want to go back to the original version or whatever. So, excuse me. Uh, so, anyways, it all adds up to where I'm, there's just a bunch of garbage in there. But, but uh, yeah. And then I, I typically. Typically, you know, you can make them private or whatever, and I just make them go live whenever I make a video about the deck, and it's actually like a thought-out list. So that's kind of how it works. It's it's kind of like a sketch pad, I guess. Yeah, all, all my decks are private too. I don't want people seeing my thought process <laughs> and my my, yeah. my junk that I make. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, all my stuff is junk. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So moving on here, I saw you post on Twitter. That you've been your stores champ, and I I don't think this is Kingslayer. I think it's a different one, but it was you were your stores champ for three straight five week cycle. You also placed tenth at a recent big event. Like I wasn't quite sure which one it was, but I could tell it was a big one. Um, but you're not only an innovative deck builder, but you're also just a great player. So how do you compete at such a high level? In addition to being so, usually, usually it's one or the other. Like usually, you're a great deck builder or you're a great competitive player, but you seem to have both. Yeah, you know, and I, I've always said like I'm a decent player, I'm a, but I'm a better deck builder, but I'm a better video editor, and that's kind of my claim to success, right? <laughs> but, um, but I've really fallen in love with with trying to become a better player, um, and in terms of the the, the you know the 15 week cycle at one of the locals, it's a super great place, super casual place. So it's nothing too crazy, but, but it's a great group of people that I love playing with. And then in terms of the, uh, the 10th, it was at the, uh, the 10th place was at the Rosemead California 5k, which was yeah, awesome. Just like uh, last weekend, right? Yeah. And it was a hundred players. So I'm just happy that I was in the top 10%. Um, a little sad that I was just shy of the top eight, but you know, I got to go get dinner early. So it wasn't too bad. Uh, Silver lining. Yeah, seriously. No, that was super fun, and it was super competitive. Um, I think 60% of the decks were red-purple. Another gr- big chunk were blue-steel, which I, I, I think at this point, I don't know if we want to talk about the set two meta much, but I think in the right hands, blue-steel can beat red-purple. And so I was able to take down that deck a couple times, and it was just a lot of fun. So how... As to how I'm able to compete at such a high level, I guess just a lot of practice. And I just really just, like I said, I don't get tired of playing Lorcana. So like I like got home from that event and I was like, dang, I kind of want to play some more. So as long as that keeps going, I guess I'll keep competing. <laughs> I actually uh, spoke to one of the guys who finished in the top eight uh, on Monday. Uh, he plays at uh, one of the other shops I go to. And uh, he was telling me that it was a long day. It was a lot of fun. And one of the things I'm like, well, you know, like it's like an eight or nine hour day if you're getting into the top eight minimum, usually. And I'm like, well, weren't you like 
really tired? Weren't you like mentally fatigued? And he's like, actually, there was a couple of people from the shop. There was like multiple people from the shop, that particular shop at the event. And he's like, and they actually stuck around. And it was, it was really good to have them there and cheering him on. Um, and so I think uh, this is, this is not uh, actually something I don't think we actually had on the outline, but do you feel like, having that group, like you said, it's a good group at the shop you play with. Uh, I know that we have a lot of fun at Kingslayer. Do you feel like having that community is something that is like really important uh, for keeping playing the game? I mean, you say that you're not getting tired of the game, but I mean, part of it has to be like, you know, not just the game itself, but is there, is there like other stuff about the game that is helping you to just keep that drive going? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I carpooled there with two guys that I met, you know, six months ago, pretty much on the dot playing Lorcana. I love it. At the the day of set one release, <clears throat> I was playing starter decks with these guys. So, and we've carpooled to multiple tournaments at this point. So it's just really cool community. And then I got to meet a lot of, a ton of people that I know online um, at that event. I got to meet Ducky in person. I got to meet Zepha in person. There's a ton of other people from Discord and Twitter that I got to meet. Um, and people are always, you know, I always tell people I play more in print than digital. And part of that is is just I like the community, even though I'm an introverted person by nature. Like like you said, at Kingslayer, it's just some, something about walking in and seeing the people you know and joking around and seeing what decks people are playing and all that kind of stuff. And then... Even just open, even if you don't place on the day, you just open one pack. Like, is there something about that that's, it's it brings people around the table, which is why I've always loved uh, board gaming, and it's the same sort of thing. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. So I wanted to ask you too, because, I mean, it's not just that you're creating decks and, I mean, this is like your real first TCG, which it is mine too. But you, you and James both have had better success than me. So when you're playing, like at the end of the game, are you evaluating what you did or what's the process? What's the iteration of you getting better? Is it just the amount of reps that you're putting in? Or is there a process you're going through to uh, up your game every time you play? Before he answers, let me say this. At Kingslayer one day after or like either in between rounds or at the end of the night when we were waiting for a round a uh, game to finish to wait for prizing you and was it eric i don't know if eric was involved but um i can't remember the guy's name but you guys there was at least two of you maybe three of you were sitting there talking about decks and like moving like one or two cards for this like very specific purpose of like does peter pan's shadow belong or not did crabs belong or not and mm. just like really getting into the nitty gritty of a deck. And that's, I know that that's one thing that you do, but now you can talk about some of the other things you do about like after a game and what your process is. No, that's actually a good example of of something I was going to say that I was, I believe I was talking to Eric and I was talking to a guy named Mike, who's a local player. And he's one of the best um, red purple players that I know. And so when he makes a decision, I'm, I'm asking him about it. And that's one thing that I do to learn, to learn is, is learn from good players and, and your friends and things like that. But I think in terms of one of the best tools for me, I know I've talked about, we're talking about in print, but in digital games, I like, I love watching my replays. There's so much you can learn from watching your replay. You're like, dang, why did I do that? You know, things like that. And so ask a player that knows what they're doing after the game, like, hey, did I make any mistakes that you noticed there? And people have asked me that a lot and I, didn't realize like that was something you could ask somebody else, but I'm going to need it. I want to start implementing that myself because it, I mean, we're playing this game together. We, we might as well, you know, help each other out to become better players. But yeah, I don't know. Like I said, I'm not a numbers guy, so it's hard for me to like sit there and think about like my probability or anything like that. I just kind of go with it and sort of have to review it later, I guess. I, I don't know how to answer it other than that. That, that gives me uh, a lot of hope because I mean, I, I'm really, I mean, I'm good at math. I, I am, I am a mm-hmm. kind of a numbers guy, but not in this, you know, I am, I am a flying by the seat of my pants. This feels like the right thing to do kind of a play. Uh, and obviously, you know, I, I do take 
instruction, I guess, and watch videos and say, okay, this is, you know, this is like the turn one, two, three, this is the best move. This is the right times to play these particular cards. But in general, I'm not, I don't think I really think about like, I don't sit there and count like how much lore is on. I forget sometimes that even like how much lore is ever on the table and I'm just playing and like, oh, and I said 20 now. Great. <laughs> yeah. I think that in that regard, that's something I've been improving on a lot lately, especially preparing for that 5k is, you know, r really thinking about what can my opponent do here with their lore? How would I respond if I was them playing their deck? So part of it is practicing every type of deck. I think, there's definitely something to practicing one deck and being like a one trick pony. You become the master of that deck, but then also splashing in other decks that you expect to encounter. So you, if you know how they play, you can think like, man, if I had three cards in my hand and I was them, what, like, what's the what best thing I could play right now? And that sort of thing. And then just going over small mistakes. Like one of the big mistakes I make and a lot of players make is like inking things when two turns from now you if you draw uninkable cards you're going to be screwed and so you, you you should have saved that for ink and things like that so just small things like that have really helped me especially lately because a lot of my focus has been on that on that 5k tournament so yeah i don't know if that answered the question but that that's a great answer thank you um <laughs> so let's uh let's change gears here yep. so when this episode drops set three will actually be out we talked a little bit about it and you know what deck you take but we just wanted to kind of get what your initial impressions of the set are here at the outset yeah i guess my initial impressions really i mean i'm excited about all the new characters all the new art um i think that's my first impression just the just the looking at the set i think competitively it, it seems to me like the best decks in the format are just going to get more tools to work with, but I'm hopeful that other decks will have be able to rise up a bit to match them. And so I think that's pretty exciting. And like I said, I'm the type of guy to make just a hundred different random decks to test stuff out. So I'm, I'm just excited to try out pirates and Titans and all these different kind of things that are new to the game. So locations, so I'm just excited that there's more content, you know, it's kind of like when people ask me about like a, you know, people, this is off topic, but like people ask me about rings of power as a Lord of the Rings fan. And do you like it or not? It's like, well, I'm just happy we have more stuff to watch. I'm just happy we have more stuff to work with. So we'll see how good it is, <laughs> I guess, after a while, but it's, it's just fun that we have more, more cards. So I'm excited. Is there a particular card that you are eyeing? as like the Mufasa of this set where you're like, I, I think that people are just going to be like, oh, that's a cool card. And then let's set it aside and won't get any love. But you think that maybe will uh, get used. Mm, I think or should everybody's, yeah, everybody's focused right now on the flashy combos and the legendaries like Jafar and the, uh, the, the swamp beast combo and things like that. But I think there's a lot of like kind of subtle, um, un unassuming cards that are pretty good. Like the first one that comes to mind would be like the the steel Mr. Smee. He costs two and he's like a three, three with two lore. And it's like, that sounds pretty good. Like that's a meta mem snake that doesn't have to bounce something, um, you know, and he's going to, he quests for two, and, and even if he, I think he has a downside where he he takes a damage each turn that you don't have a captain. But even if you don't play hook on turn one into Smee, I mean, he's going to quest for two, and they're going to attack in and probably get banished if it's an early character. So anyways, stuff like that, it's like nobody's really talking about that, but it seems like, I, I feel like he's a new staple for any steel deck. So, so does he, let me, because uh, I think that, uh, what is the Maui's island? What's the cost? Uh, two cost? Or I, is think it one? I think it's a, I think it's a one or two and it, oh, you mean the movement cost or the cost? Of no, the, the resist on it. Cause if oh, Mr. Smee takes resist. damage, but he has plus one resist from he, the location. He won't take it. Yeah, exactly. 
Yes. But even if you take, let's say that you, let's say you have them out and, and you quest twice and they don't deal with it. You have two damage. Well, if you're on Amber, you just play Rapunzel. I mean, <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of different things that he unlocks and he's just yep. like an uncommon two cost uh, inkable character. It's like, those are the things I get excited about. Like, I mean, think about Surfer Mini. You play her out in turn three, and if she's around for four turns, you win the game. Like, so small cards like that are, are kind of are kind of uh, more hype than people think at first. I think. No, I think you hit the nail on the head there when you said it unlocks certain things. That's what I'm most excited for with this set. It really feels like it's unlocking a lot more possibilities for decks and different win conditions i mean i mean james knows that i'm a sapphire player at heart and he knows how distressful this set reveal was for me but once grammatolic came out i know she's a legendary that everybody's hyped about but it's just like in my limited deck building brain capacity i was like oh my gosh i see a deck there with ramping whereas before it was a it was like a fun to have but it wasn't Something that really won the game for you, except for maybe in you know blue steel. But Grammatala actually makes ramp a viable option now, it seems. And and that's just one example of the possibilities that are unlocked with with a set three. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we saw how powerful um alternate lore gathering with like goat is. And Grammatala, I mean it's definitely in the flavor of Sapphire, but it's the same sort of thing. Like I can I can gain lore by not not necessarily by questing. So, yeah, she's exciting. What do you think about locations? Um, again, it, it sounds like you're pretty high in locations already with that pirate deck you were talking about. But uh, how do you think they impact the game? Uh, do you think they're just a gimmick, or do you think it's a legitimate uh, addition to the game? I think. My initial reactions are that they're pretty powerful. Um, you mean, I mean, if, if you put out a, I mean, if it was a one cost character that with zero attack that had six health or whatever, and it just had to stay sideways is what it had, had printed on the card, but it gained lore every turn, it'd be popular. So that's what locations are, you know? And I think about how strong cards like Spellbook can be, um, but it's like a three cost, plus one each turn uh, uninkable card, right? And so a lot of these locations are going to be adding up to way more lore than that right off the bat. And so, yeah, I think I think there'll be some decks that don't run locations, and there'll be some that focus on it. But I think in general, you'll just see a lot of sort of standard lists that just throw them in there because – throw a couple in there because they they just work so well at just – getting you up to five or five lore or whatever it is. And then you finish out the game after that. So I don't know. We'll have to see. We'll have to see. Have, have you really looked into the mechanics of the locations and some of the possibilities that they're bringing to the game or like, are you doing some testing, like figuring out what their best use is? Cause I mean, right now I feel like locations when we first saw them, everyone's like, they're expensive. You're playing something out for maybe some free lore. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, and um, but now we have these things that like Hawkins that plays and moves and you're getting somewhere between seven and nine resources worth of value from one character that you play for five. Oh, yeah. Gem and yeah. So, I mean, do you think that if we can like unlock, as you said, unlock certain things about locations that they will dominate the game? Or do you think that they're just... um like throwing in like flavor into the game. I think, I mean, my initial reaction is that Jim Hawkins in particular is really, really, really good. And so he just by nature makes locations in Ruby really good. Um, some of the other locations like have some really interesting abilities. Like the, um, the pride lands even has some like, I don't know if you guys saw the like infinite combo with Merlins and things yeah. like that. Like they have some interesting things that are fun, but like compared to Jim Hawkins, it's like you spin five and then you start gaining like four lore a turn, questing him evasive starting on the next turn or whatever. It's like, that's insane. Like, so I don't know. I have a feeling that 
some of the some of the colors like red might just run away with locations and be really good and then we might see other cards like the blue locations not being as as strong just because i don't know if we need bell's house for example to play items cheaper right you know i don't know if that's something we really need but but you know maybe maybe that's an oversight we'll have, we'll have to see maybe someone can crack that item deck yeah me. sure i think blue's already strong without that you know what i mean i so. I, I mean i think uh steel actually i think maybe end up being the 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 ink color where locations you need to have it in order to make locations the important part of mm -hmm. your deck because of the map oh and right. the thing is is that i don't know i mean i didn't realize this until like was it yesterday when i messaged you jared like yeah. in the middle of the night yep and i'm like i finally figured out something about it and it's like there's no limits on moving there is no limits on moving if you don't have to pay the resources. You can move a character as many times and in any way you want. So if right. you have one or two maps out to reduce your cost and your move cost is two on any of your locations, you can move them back and forth as many times as you want in a turn. And some of the things you can do, like if you're playing Amethyst Steel, if you have brooms, you move them over for free to the workshop you get an extra lore, you quest, you move them back to Maui's Island, and now they have plus one resist and they're harder to take down. And you can do that with any combination in the steel plus whatever to keep moving them. Like in, if you're playing red uh, ruby steel, you can play a card. It goes, it's a pirate, so it goes into Jolly Roger for free, rushes at something, and then you can move it if there's a mm -hmm. character already there for one and you just have one map out, it becomes free to move over to the RLS and now it has evasive and can't be attacked back with that damage it has. So there's a lot of ways that we can use that map and make these locations actually work. And that was just like, that blew my mind when I figured that out last night. And I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe that locations are actually going to matter more than I thought. Yeah, we're going to... We, we now are at a point where the characters are straight up waking up in the morning, going to work, and then returning on the same turn <laughs> from one yeah. location to the other. <laughs> you know, one, one card, another card I think is uh, being overlooked is the uh, Ruby Hey Hey. That whenever, once per turn, when he moves to location, each opponent loses one lore. Yeah. Like, I, if you think about combining them with Amber, you have Pride Lands right. to make them cost go for free you play them out for free and then you move them and then you have other ways to play them out for free in amber so anyways that's that's another card I'm, i'll keep my eye on is hey hey the anti-goat card he might be i, I think there's some ways to to come to combine them uh in amber or even combine them in in purple start playing them out for free so and i think that it's going to be fun because we're going to be able to bring back cards like Heroic Outlaw, mm -hmm. who now you don't have to necessarily shift him uh, because he's going to get Rush from Jolly Roger, and it may be something that is late game is a good control card to get that lore reduction immediately by taking out something right is away. Heroic Outlaw, a pirate? No, but you can if you have like a map out or you have the cost when you play him, you can move him to the Jolly oh. Roger even with the cost. Right, right, right. It has rush, and you don't have to pay a high cost like you used to with the White Rabbit's pocket watch. Yeah, it'll be like the pocket watch. The new pocket watch is potentially in red without having a splash in purple. Right. So you can have steel. You can have some maps out, and he's free. And now he has rush, and you don't have to telegraph your move with a with a, a lower Aladdin. And there's the four. James Lord. is cooking over there. Dude, James, he's going to destroy me next time we meet. No. <laughs> no. All right. Okay, so with set three, presumably much easier to acquire. We haven't been seeing sellouts. We have been seeing everyone being able to buy booster boxes for pre-orders and whatnot. And we have organized play officially announced, even though it's officially, officially, we're getting more details in the next month or so. Um do you think that we're going to see more and more players come to the game or is it like basically 
mean, I, I don't think so. But do you think we're, we've hit like the level we're going to be at? Yeah, I mean, both of those things you said, the easier to acquire products and the and the official play, they they hit the two sort of major streams of audiences. I think making it more readily available is import, really super important for like more casual players or families to get into playing Lorcana, which is very important, especially for a Disney-themed card game. Uh, families should find this at Target or find it at even at like Downtown Disney or whatever it is and and get excited about it. But at the same time, the organized play, hopefully, will be a you know marketing source to, to prospect new competitive players. Um, in terms of will it grow, for sure. I think Lorcana's going to undoubtedly grow new players. Um, I just, the thing is, will they be able to keep existing players at the same rate as it's growing? And I'm super hopeful for that, for sure. Um, and hopefully the organized play just ends up being a slam dunk, you know, and, and it gets people excited about playing and improving and gets people excited for the future sets. Because um, as long as those keep rolling out and doing well, I don't think Lurkana will go anywhere anytime soon. I've said that probably a million times. I really hope the organized play goes off without a hitch. I hope it's not like Gen Con where it's like, that was amazing, but blah, blah, blah. Like, mm. I hope people are just like, that was amazing, and I can't wait to go again next year. Um, but, I mean, but I look at these other card games have been out a while longer. Like, when One Piece had their first what, Worlds or whatever, it sold out within minutes, and there's 2,500 players. And... I, like I would love to see the day when Lorcana has that kind of demand. I think that'd be really neat. Also, a logistical nightmare. I can't imagine that. But uh, I'm reaching for the stars here. I heard horror stories about the organization of that event too. <laughs> <laughs> up, up in LA. But, but yeah, no, that sounds super exciting. I mean, honestly, I haven't even looked much into the like organized play, so I, I can't. It's hard for me to discuss it too in depth, but. Like I said, this is my first sort of foray into card games um, and things like that. And so, yeah, for me, I'm almost like a new player. Like, I'm just excited to be here. So, <laughs> so yeah, that's, you and that's me all both. for me. I mean, I've been super impressed with some of the, like, some of the events I've been to. You know, I flew out to Miami for that 3K, or it wasn't a 3K. It was like a two-case tournament or whatever it was. And then, you know, the 5K recently, and I've been to a few, like, 1Ks and even smaller events, and I've just enjoyed it, all of it. So um, hopefully, you know, Lorcana listens to the players and learns from the things that we've already been doing in sort of a grassroots manner and just amplifies it. So. Yeah. So one thing I wanted to ask, and again, it's going off, mm -hmm. off topic here, not off topic, but off, off outline. Um, when you're playing in these tournaments or even just at your locals and it's, you know, it's like, okay, it's like the final match for you. Like, who's going to be undefeated tonight? Is the, Are there things that you do while you, before, during, or of the game that help you to stay focused or to make sure you don't panic or anything like that? Like, what is your, what are some of the things maybe that are your gameplay things that you do to make sure that you stay on target? Um. I guess the number one thing for me is like if I if I know the opponent's deck, then I really try to focus on the mulligan going into the match. But in terms of like before the match even begins, like I think for me the number one thing for is just to not switch into autopilot mode if that makes sense. Like I can I have to actively fight back against like just Oh, I'm going to play my turn one, turn two, turn three, like that I think is the current most optimal. And I need to instead be really thinking about like what my opponent can do. Um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of like, I guess it, if what you're asking is like, I'm going to be at the top table and I'm waiting for the last match and it's the one that could between first and second or whatever. I don't know. I, I, I try not to think about it too hard or I'll get nervous. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was, so. I was at, uh, like I said, I was playing Monday night, and uh -huh. uh, in like at the end of one of the matches, we are we were in game three, and we were run, running long. We were almost up on time, and like halfway through the game, 
and almost everyone else had finished. So we had a crowd of like 10 people around the table mm-hmm. and it was, it was nerve wracking having people watch like that. But I, I'm like, I had to think about like, okay, I still need to play the game. I'm not playing it to impress or to do some flashy move. I have to remember I'm playing to make sure I play the right cards and the right sequence and, and get the win. So, right. you know, it's the kind of thing where like all of these things are happening around you. And that's just like at a local where it's like five, eight people or whatever it was. It felt like there was a million people around me, but, um, you know, that kind of thing is like, you know, are, are you, you know, you just kind of have to stay focused, right? You can't let those things bother you. Yeah. At the 5k, I was, um, I started off four and oh, and then, which I had not, I don't think I've done that before at a big event. So I was like, okay, I, the pressure's on now. And then going into my fifth match, they're like, hey, you're going to be on stream on this match. So, if, and of course that's the match I lost and it was against an aggro deck. So I lost in like, you know, in the best of three, both, both of the first two matches, 2-0, combined, them, combined the number of turns together, I probably lost in like 30 turns. So I was like, dang, of course I lose, you know, on the live stream after I was undefeated, but it just happens and you just got to get past it, I guess. I mean, luckily that guy went on to get like fourth or something, so that makes me feel a little better. But, <laughs> but yeah, it's like, I don't know where this live stream is. I don't know who's watching it or... This is their first time watching me play competitively. They just think I'm like a deck builder. So they're like, of course, this guy is losing or whatever. You know, you never know what people are thinking. So, yeah, you just got to push it the, push it out of your head and just focus on the game. So that's what I tried to do. It didn't work, I guess. <laughs> tenth is still pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Out of 100, yeah. <laughs> I'd be very happy with 10th out of 100. I mean, I'd be a static. Yep. Yeah, no, I, I'm super happy. So. All right, so... Uh, one thing we always ask uh, fellow content creators is what piece of advice they'd give to fellow or aspiring content creators. Uh, what would your advice be? Um, yeah, this is an interesting question because before I, uh, last year, basically I was working in the video game industry on the opposite side. I was working on the like partnership side uh, and talent side working with creators. And now I am one of those creators, which is kind of funny, but I guess for me, it's like, just make sure you're having fun with it is the most important thing. And if you want to take it seriously, then pick something you're really good at and run that direction. So for example, I tend to focus on quality over quantity and make one video a, a, a week or sometimes a month. And that's just what I like doing. And that's what's fun for me. So that's what I do. But some creators like making a video every single day and it's just like quick off the hip videos and that there's no right or right or wrong. I just think knowing yourself and having fun with it, is probably the best advice I could give. So I had a, I had a creator reach out to me and they're like, I want to do this. What do you think I should do? Mm -hmm. I was like, well, what are you interested in doing? And they're like, I want to do gameplay and I want to do meta reports and I want to do deck profiles and I want to do finance reports and I want to do deck techs. And I was like, Slow down. You are gonna burn out. That's a lot. You need to you need to pick one thing and and focus on that lane. And yeah, eventually you can branch out, but you can't do it all. Yeah, I mean, because people have asked me about you know, people have asked me about tournament reports and people have asked me about podcasts, and I'm like, I already do a lot, and it, I can't even I don't even make videos at the rate that I would like. So I'm just gonna keep focusing on this, you know. I love it. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. So we have some listener questions here. And if you want to uh, get some listener questions in, you can go to the Citizens of Lorcana Discord. Here's our shameless little plug there. And we have a whole section that's called podcast questions. So here we go. Our first question comes from our good friend, Fergus. He says, uh, in your opinion, what is the biggest dud card of any set? Um, that's the first part of his question. Um, okay. Do me to answer that first. We'll, let's see. Probably just off the top of my head, the, um, uh, Jumba card from set one, because I think he's like a five cost five, five, something four. or other four or five four. Yeah. It's like, there's like five other cards that 
are just him, but have one extra strength or one extra lore. And he's like a rare, I think. So yeah, I think he just is missing like several different things before he'd become playable. <laughs> I'm so glad he didn't say Gan too. Cause he's I was going to say uh, he's, he's gone to adjacent though. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Um, okay. So we asked this one already. The next part of the question was what uh, card do you think is a sleeper or underrated card in set three? Uh, so the last part of his question is what IP or franchise do you want to see or is it already in the game? Um, well, I've always said, <clears throat> I've always said Captain Jack Sparrow. Um, and yeah, I don't know if they're going to do live action, but I would love if it was just a uh, nice little drawing based off of the original, like, or not the original, but, but you know, the pirates ride. And I think oh, any yeah. sort of, any sort of, uh, parks ip would be awesome you know figment orange bird you name it like i think any of that stuff would be just incredible and even locations big thunder mountain haunted mansion uh hitchhiking ghosts you name it anything from the parks i'd be super hyped about yeah you thought 99 puppies was a thing what about 999 ghosts exactly there's always room for one more i love that answer that could be an action card right there there's always room for one more and it's ink your ink the top card of your opponent's deck into your inkwell. Oh, okay. <laughs> Just remember which one it is to give it back. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So this next question comes from a user named Rodian, um, and you actually answered this first part already. He asked, "How many decks do you typically keep saved in Dreamborn, Lorcania official app, or wherever you keep them?" <laughs> and mm -hmm. and uh, you said about three thousand. So. The follow-up to his question is, do you constantly add and delete, or do you keep all of your old deck list in there? How do you typically keep your deck list organized, and what's your process for purging? There's a lot in there. So yeah, yeah. first part is, do you add and delete, or do you keep them all? Yeah, well, first of all, I need to ask. Um, I can't remember his name at the moment, but the guy that runs Streamborn, I need to ask him to see if he can tell me how many decks I have in here, because I'm curious. <laughs> but, his name's George. Surreal. Yeah, Surreal. I'll have to ask him, but... I used to go through and purge because I wanted like a really nice, neat list of only good decks. But then I just got, quickly moved past that. And if it's not, honestly, one reason why there's so many is if I can't find it in like three scrolls, I'll just remake the deck. So it's really messy and which is not normally what I, I'm usually like super organized, but I don't know. That's just how I'm rolling with it right now. So, <laughs> okay. I think that answers that question. Yeah. No, I do have just one question for you too that I wanted to ask you earlier, but I forgot. Uh, how'd you get the name Steadfast? How'd you, how did you come up with that? Oh yeah. Um, so I went by, I had a couple different like screen names over the years. Um, I think I, I think I heard the name. I think maybe like I saw the name somewhere or something like that. But basically what the story is, is I used to play a ton of League of Legends. There's countless hours and knowledge of League of Legends stuck in my brain that I can never get out. But anyways, in League of Legends, what happens is every like couple years, they'll purge like unused names. And so I was just going through like searching for like a cool name that was like one word and just memorable and like steadfast was available. And for some reason, I like had that name in my head, either from the past or, or I just had like a list of like things that would be like cool names or whatever. And, and that one worked. And so I switched everything to steadfast and that was probably, it's probably like nine years ago or something like that. So I think it's worked for you. Yep. <laughs> and it's also, you know, it's a word, it's an adjective that's, I wouldn't say I'm necessarily a super steadfast person, but it's something to strive towards. So. I try to live up to it. And and the other name, your name is Zach. Is there something about the name Zach? Because between you and Zach Bivens, I mean, you guys are, are both killing it out there. Dude, there's, a, I think there's like even more, there's like a couple other Zachs I've seen play like in top eights and things. There's something about the name, I guess, draws us to Lorcan. I don't know. I, I don't even know if, if Zach Bivens knows that that's my name, but I, I should mention it to him. <laughs> All right, James, shall we move into the ending segments? Sure. Let's do that. Uh, so we have uh, no real news, right? The game's out today. When you, when you hear this, the game is out. If you're hearing this in the future, 
the game came out. It's awesome. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, and there are new new cards because we had everything revealed. The app has been updated. Uh, one thing I noticed uh, when I uh, went and looked at it, um, I'm, on, I'm on iOS. I opened the app and all the cards were there except for locations. Same. So there is a an update you have to download, and then you can see all the locations in the in the app. So if you're having any issues not seeing the locations only, update your app. I was beginning to feel like technical support there on Twitter for a while because so many people are like, "You didn't update the locations." I'm like, update the app in your app store. <laughs> there you go. All right, that's that's about it for news. I mean. A weekend of events, and hope everyone's getting some some good products and having some good pulls and all that kind of stuff. All right, so are you ready for some Disney Jeopardy? Oh gosh, yeah, sure. <laughs> okay, today we have a themed segment for you. It's all about Lilo and Stitch. Okay, so he has a brand new uh, custom Stitch playmat. That's true. And and uh, so I figured Lilo and Stitch would be a good one for the questions. All right, here we go for 100. This is the name of Stitch's creator. Uh, Jumba, Jubika, or whatever. <laughs> it's Jumba. <laughs> Let's uh, get Benny from overexerted on here. Yep. Uh, yeah, that is correct. For 200, this is the name of Lilo's sister. Nani. You are crushing it. Okay. For 300, this is Stitch's experiment number. 626? Uh, yes, that is correct. Okay. For 400, this is the name of the Earth expert alien in Lilo and Stitch. It's Pleakley. Pleakley <laughs> uh, yeah, is the answer. Okay. For 500, the most difficult question here. This is the number of arms Gantu has. Gantu? Oh, man. Is it four? Or is it two? I'm trying to think. I'm going to say four. You are incorrect. Oh, I tricked no. him. There's two. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I was going to say two. I was like, he has two, but it's that really they're totally going for something question. here. I thought I thought it was honestly I I had to go look at the picture and like but how many is like, it again? Because I thought it was four at first. If too. you if it was four, I was about to be like, let me go look at a picture because I don't remember that. But you did trick me. I was afraid. <laughs> so to I made I, I was like, you know what? I've been I've been like uh, accused of making the questions a little hard sometimes. So I'm like, <laughs> let's make a bunch of easy questions and then a trick question. Yeah, so, it worked. Doing a little bit of work here on my on my my trivia this time. <laughs> all right that was awesome yeah four out of five again oh, wow. zach uh we are so grateful you were able to hop on with us uh it's been awesome and we really appreciate you just like sharing so much with us so if people want to find you i know we talked about your youtube channel but if people want to find you and connect with you where can they find you yep you can search for steadfast Lorcan on youtube and then through that, you can probably find my Discord and Twitter and stuff through all the links. And that's where you can find me. And hopefully by the time this goes up, I'll also have a little set three review up. We'll see if I can get it out in time. But at the very least, I'll be playing, I'll be playing set three because I have a midnight uh, sealed event on Thursday night. So, nice. so I'll, be, I'll be playing. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. And honestly... If you have not subscribed to Steadfast on YouTube, go go check him out. Um, you'll only become a better player uh, for watching the videos. Because like James said, the thing that I appreciate about your videos is you like walk through and you're like, this is why this is in here. This is why, you know, this is what I do under this scenario. And just having that thought process that goes into like the deck, for me, that's super helpful. So... Okay, so if you liked what you heard, you can subscribe to us on YouTube. You can follow us on the podcasting platform of your choice. Again, here's another shameless plug for the Citizens of Lorcana Discord. If you haven't joined, make sure to go check it out. Um, and you can find me on the website, formerly known as Twitter, 
at Citizens of Lorcana. And James, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me everywhere at Dan Regal. And uh, thank you all for listening. And we'll see you next time. Enjoy set three. <laughs>